You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. of the Apostle Paul. And so we've come to towards somewhat the conclusion of the first part. It's hard to, to quite to find the exact uh, point where it switches over, but I think we're pretty close to it here in Acts chapter 12. So coming up next week, uh, what we plan on doing is we're going to start a, a, a break. We're going to have a break in the book of Acts, and we're going to start a series on heaven. And so we have some great questions that people have asked. If you have any questions you'd like to be included in this series, be sure to get with me this week. We're going to look at a lot of great things. Uh, One question that people have asked is, where is heaven? Uh, When we talk about heaven, is it something you can get on a jet plane and travel somewhere to? Or is it, uh, where is heaven exactly? When you get to heaven, what will you see? What will God look like? What will the the, the scenes that you see in heaven be like? Uh, We're going to look at other questions about, uh, this has been a popular question, will there be animals in heaven? That's a popular question people ask. Will there be animals in heaven? And a lot of other things, near-death experiences, what do you do with those? What can we learn from them? And a lot, lot more. So we're going to cover this series on heaven, our eternal home, uh, coming up starting next week and look for, looking forward to that. And so uh, this week we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25, as we complete uh, really the first half of uh, the book of uh, Acts. Uh, And then we'll we'll pick up, as soon as we finish our next series, we'll pick up in chapter 13 and then uh, move on towards the end of the book. But everybody who can and is able, we encourage you to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Again, this is Acts chapter 12. Verses 1 through 25. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. Today we're going to uh, talk about God's sovereign gospel mission. And a question we all have to ask ourselves is this. Does God have a plan to save humanity? Is, is, are we part of, of a plan or is everything up to happenstance? Or is everything in life a bunch of coincidences that take place? And it's, you know, just random molecules in motion. Is that all we are? Is that all life is? Or is there a purpose to all that happens in life? Well, I believe that we see in chapter 12 that there is a purpose. And you're going to see different stories taking place in this chapter. It seems like they're kind of random when you first look at them. But as you move through the chapter, you see that God is operating and moving in a sovereign direction. Let's read. Now, at that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This is the first apostle to be executed in the name of Christ. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, being Peter... He put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. 
Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in prison, and he struck Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals, and so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real because he thought he was seeing a vision. But when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them by its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is John Mark. Where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now put yourself in Peter's position. He had just been rescued from prison. He's knocking on Mary's door. The servant Rhoda comes. She says, oh my goodness, it's Peter. And she runs back in the house. She doesn't even open the door. Now he realizes that they're going to be looking for him. So he's banging on the door at this time. So let me in. You know? uh, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave the oration to them. And people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. They were proclaiming Herod to be God. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and was eaten by worms and he died. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. But Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they took with them also John, whose surname was Mark. The kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. And we just simply ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would use me as you will this morning. Allow me to say the words that need to be spoken and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. How many of you have ever watched reality shows on television? Anybody ever watch that? Now, there are some reality shows that, that, that need to come with a little discretion because they, they show people, now I don't know how real it is or how, how, how not, but they show these, uh, these, these 
these uh, stories of these people who uh, work in the towing business, repo men, you know, for instance. And obviously they come and they repo a car and then everybody's aggravated and annoyed. Well, they had this one show where they had this guy who is a process server up in New York City. And he goes and he delivers these, I mean, you've probably seen it, he delivers these court orders to people by judges who are being summoned to court. And obviously there are a lot of people who were irritated at him. And, and I don't know, again, how real this is. It kind of makes me think that there may be some truth in it. I don't know how real. But there are people throwing pizzas on him. They're just irritated. They're throwing all kinds of stuff on him. You know, again, I don't know how much that's dramatized and how much of that's real. But nevertheless, I'm sure when, if you work in the repo business or you work in the summons business, that you come across a lot of irritated people. But the thing is with uh, this guy, what he is only, only thing he is responsible for doing is to hand over this summons to the person. Once, you, once he hands over that summons to the person, then it's the person's responsibility as to whether they show up in court or not. Amen? You know, he's done his part. You know, in many ways, the gospel is the same way. All we're responsible for doing is getting the message out there, ministering to people, yes, helping people, loving people, absolutely, but giving the message of the gospel. And once the message is given, then it's the work of the Holy Spirit that takes place in that person's heart. And it's the response of that person to the moving of the Holy Spirit in their life which really secures whether there will be a salvific experience or not. Uh, but, once, but all you're responsible for doing, beloved, when we talk about evangelism, and I know it can be very intimidating. I know a lot of people are scared to talk to somebody else about their faith. But all you're responsible for doing is sharing the gospel message and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? You're not responsible for what that person does with that. Like that process server, you deliver the message and from there you allow things to take place as they're meant to take place. In today's passage of Scripture, we see a host of various events taking place. We see King Agrippa launching, uh, uh, unleashing a barrage of attacks against the church, even killing one of the apostles. I'm not talking about just one apostle. I'm talking about one of the inner circle apostles, Peter, James, and John. One of the guys who actually saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. One of the guys who were there with Jesus at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. One of the inner circle disciples was killed with the sword. Absolutely, Miss Anna, you're right. Uh, <laughs> he was killed by the sword. Then Herod Agrippa, we see, then he arrests Peter because he sees how much it pleases the crowd that, he, that he's doing this to Christians. He arrests Peter. And if you're a Christian at this day and time, think of what that must have been like. You saw one of the three big leaders executed. You see another big leader imprisoned. And so obviously if you're part of the church, you're getting a little bit scared at this time, thinking what in the world's going on at this time? What in the world's taking place? But then we see that Peter is rescued. Then we see Herod Agrippa dies all of a sudden. And then Barnabas and Paul continue from a mission trip. Now all of this may seem like it's not connected at all. But if you look at what God's doing in this chapter, you see that all of this is coming together like a puzzle. Anybody ever tried to put together one of those thousand-piece puzzles? You know, that can be aggravating, can it? Because you have some pieces of that puzzle that's beautiful. You have other pieces that just don't make any sense. I mean, what is that great little piece of puzzle there? Where in the world does that go? Does it go down here? Does it go up here? Where does it go? Some pieces don't make as much sense as others. But once you put it together, then you see a beautiful picture. 
And that's exactly what we find happening in Acts chapter 12. We see that God has a sovereign gospel mission, and we see this in four points. We see that the gospel mission was disallowed, meaning that they were met with opposition. And we are to expect this, being Christians in this day and time, and in fact, any day and time. We see that the gospel mission was decreed by God. It was defended by God, and it's also delivered by God. Let's take a look at this as we move through these four points. Number one, God's sovereign gospel mission was disallowed. And this, by by some people may think that that, that there's this this opposition that's taking place to the gospel. So there there are problems that take place. So, So what's happening? It seems like the church is being hindered. And so many people will become depressed by their oppression. And so in the opening verses of chapter 12, we see that King Herod, he's launching an attack against Christians. And we see that James, one of the three big leaders of the church, is executed with a sword. And I'm sure the Christians of that day and time are thinking, oh my goodness, what is taking place? What is happening? And not only did this happen, but there were many, in the, many of the religious authorities were celebrating this, so much so that King Herod also arrested Peter. Man, Peter, who Jesus said would be the rock upon which he would build his church, was now in prison. James is laying over here dead. What is taking place? Understand something very important, beloved. God never promises us that we're going to have an easy road in this life. Amen? And the problem we have in this day and time, I wasn't planning on saying this, but as I prayed, I just wanted the Holy Spirit to take over here. We live our lives thinking that God owes us something, don't we? A lot of times. And there are a lot of people in this day and time who think that. But God doesn't owe us anything. It's by His grace that we're even saved to begin with. Amen? It's not because He owed it to us but it's because of His great love that He loved us so much that He was willing to save us. Now understand, the gospel wasn't given to you. Salvation wasn't given to you just to make you comfortable. It was given to all of us to change our lives and to make us into the image of God Himself, to make us in the image of Christ Jesus. So we see that this took place, but that through this, this Herod Agrippa who ruled from 37 to 44, the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, we, we see this guy as he's now imprisoned Peter. He, he, he's put four squads of soldiers around Peter. Peter is imprisoned. It doesn't seem like there's any way out for Simon Peter. And everybody, including John Mark's mother, who was good friends with Peter and his family, and Rhoda, her servant, and the entire church, they were praying because they knew if he killed James, one of the inner circle disciples, and he has imprisoned Peter, then Peter's next. Amen? They see the writing on the wall that if things continue the way they're going, then they're going to take the life of Simon Peter as well. Understand right here and right now that political persecution, we see this a lot in today's time. We see it in some areas of the world today that if you're baptized publicly in the name of Jesus Christ, you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to be executed. If they get a hold of you, some of the authorities will execute you in certain parts if you're baptized for Christ. In Russia, uh, if in Russia, certain organizations, certain Christians, Christians cannot go out and forth, go forth publicly evangelizing and proclaim the name of Jesus. And even in our day and time here in the United States of America, we're seeing mounting persecution taking place. Now, some people will say, don't call it persecution because it's not on the level of, uh, of, of what they see in the Middle East. But understand this, persecution is persecution. That's like comparing the stink from a chicken house to a hog farm. They both stink. Amen? They both stink. 
It doesn't matter if it stinks a little bit or if it stinks a lot. It both stinks and it's still part of the persecution that's taking place. And understand as we go along in, in, in society, as we go along in time, we're going to see political persecution increase for the child of God, especially as the time of Christ gets closer and closer. You can also expect social oppression towards Christians' beliefs. That's not anything new. For it not to be popular to be Christian. I'm going to tell you, genuine Christianity, if we're honest about it, has never been popular. Amen? If you're genuine in your faith, it's never been popular to be a child of God. Because Jesus even tells us this much, that you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and the world. You must make your decision upon what rock you're going to stand. But we see a lot of these things happening. And we ask ourselves, why does God allow these things to happen? In fact, the prophet Habakkuk, if you've never read his, prophet, uh, his book, I, I encourage you to do that. It's not very long. It's about three chapters. But it's very, very good. Habakkuk goes before God, and he asks the Lord. He says, Lord, the Lord, there's so much oppression taking place. This nation has gone haywire. There's so much bad stuff taking place. Why aren't you going to do something about it? And God says, I am. Habakkuk says, well, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to send Babylon to take over. And Habakkuk says, wait, wait a minute, Lord, we're bad, I grant you that, but they're worse. Have you seen the things they do? Why are you going to allow Babylon to come and take over? And God gives a principle at the end of that that's very powerful. He tells Habakkuk, he says, Habakkuk, Habby, <laughs> or, or Kook, I don't know what he calls them short. I don't know what the short of, of Habakkuk is. But, oh, Habby, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to eventually judge the world. Hang tight. Because everybody must stand before my throne of judgment. In the end, all evil is going to be vanquished. So how do we prepare ourselves for the threat of persecution and oppression? Number one, we first of all have to ask ourselves, who is my first love? Who is at the throne of my life? And if anyone sits in that position outside of Jesus Christ, it's going to be tough for us. Amen? Because the Bible tells us the first and great commandment that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He must be at the throne room of your life. If anything else is in that throne room, anything else is sitting on that throne room of your life, it's going to be difficult for you when persecution comes. Number two, you have to immerse yourself in prayer and Scripture. There may come a point in time, who knows? There may come a point in time that it's banned that the Bible reading is banned in our area. I hope and pray not. But what if it is? Do you, have you immersed yourself enough in Scripture where you can remember some of the things that you read? Have you immersed yourself so much in Scripture that it's become part of your life? How much are we praying? I mean, folks, this is not just an obligation we have because it looks good on Sunday morning. It should become part of our lives, making us who we are. And number three, have a game plan. I think it always pays off to have a game plan. You know, it, that's not to say that it's going to operate according to what we think it will because, you know, if anything's certain, it's, it's certain that our plans don't always work out the way we think. But it is always a good idea, I believe, to have a game plan. But God's sovereign mission is not only seen in its disallowance, but it's, it's also seen in its decree. Herod was going to bring Peter out for trial, and God had decreed to work through these circumstances in such a way to show forth his power, even in the bad things. How many of you know today, let me hear you say, I mean, if you know today that God can use the bad things for good. Anybody know that? God can use the bad things of your life for something good. It may actually be 
you going through some of the bad things that you are, that God will bring greater glory to Himself because it may be the witness that you demonstrate to others going through those tough times, still trusting and still keeping yourself faithful to God, that people truly see the light of God's glory. I believe there are many times when a person passes or when a person is going through things and they depend and trust upon God that the light of God's glory shines the brightest. And you may not always see it immediately. You may not always see that, but if you give it time, you'll see that people have been impacted by your faithfulness to Christ. Herod was going to bring Peter out for trial. And again, the church thought that everything had gone haywire. You know, this angel appears with a light shining in the cell of his presence. It, uh, he, he wakes up uh, Peter, tells him to get out. I mean, it's an absolutely, it's like, a, it's like a, one of those spy movies almost, you know, where, where you see, uh, uh, what's it, Mission Impossible. You know, you almost have that song going in my mind now, Kaz, that Mission Impossible song in my mind. As this angel comes down, and he doesn't come down with this little string, you know, levitating above the ground. He comes down in the glory of God. He releases Peter, and he basically kicks Peter and says, Hey, yo, get up, get up. It's time to get out of here. And Peter all the while thinks this is a dream, you know. And so Peter goes out. How does he make it through the, by the other guards? I don't know. But God somehow or another uses this angel to allow Peter to go out of this prison. Rhoda is so surprised, the servant of Mary, she's so surprised, she doesn't even let him in the door. Finally, uh, finally Mary lets Peter in the door. They're there and they're celebrating because they've seen the power of God work through even the bad circumstances of life. Understand... God defends His people in order to deliver His gospel. But there's a question as I was reading through this. There was a question. Okay, now wait, that sounds good, but wait a minute. Peter was delivered, but James wasn't. Have you ever noticed before, maybe there's a big tragic accident that takes place, there's a, there's, there's a massive wreck or something like that, and then someone who survived will come out and say, I want to thank the Lord because He spared me. But what about those other people? in the wreck who weren't spared. You ever stop to think about that? What about those other people in the wreck who weren't spared? I want to tell you that God has a time frame for us all. Amen? You're not going to leave this world until God's ready for you. Amen? And here another amen. Amen? You're not going to leave this world until God is ready for you. Uh, Jesus said... Don't fear those who kill the body only, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to kill both body and soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. How many of you here today know that you're worth more than a bird? Amen? Francis, we're even worth more than that, that bird on the root card, amen? Amen? Well, you know, we're worth more than that root card, that bird on the root card. We're worth more than a sparrow. And if God knows every molecule that passes this universe, if He knows the location of everything on earth, He knows you, He knows your circumstances, He knows everything you're going through. And beloved, understand this, He has a plan for your life. I'm reminded of, uh, I was watching uh, on Netflix the Axe story that was on NBC a few years back. They have the series now, and, and I was up late, I'll be honest, I was up late watching this, and, and, I, and I found it interesting because on, on, the, on the episode where, on the, on the situation you see in John 21, Peter and John are walking with Jesus after Jesus' resurrection. 
And, and, John, and Jesus has told, just told Peter, Peter, you're going to die for me on a cross. Now, John was faithful to Christ by being there with him while he was on the cross, you know, to the very last minute. Peter, he denied Jesus three times. And while Peter was happy about the fact that uh, he had been reinstated in the ministry, did you notice what Peter did next? Okay, I'm supposed to die by crucifixion, but what about John? What about John over there? You know, what's going to happen with him? And you remember what Jesus tells them? Peter, you follow me. What happens to John is my business. He's going to follow me. You're going to follow me. You both have a plan. You both have a mission. Focus on me. Don't worry about what John's doing. You focus on me. Isn't that the way it is? Don't worry about what everybody else around you is doing. And this is something, you know, because I see on Facebook, I see, well, this person's written a book, and that person's done this, and that person's gone to Africa. In fact, they had this thing on, on the line the other day about uh, documenting the number of states you've been to. Some people, they had about 48 states they've been to. And I started plugging in the states I've been to, and, man, it was just it was pitiful. It was absolutely pitiful. It's pathetic. I was like, man, i got to get out more. This is horrible, you know. This is absolutely horrible. I mean, it's not even one quarter. I mean, it's just like North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia. That's about it. <laughs> that's about it. That's horrible. But, you know, that's what we do. We, we compare ourselves with other people. But God's not wanting you to do that. You focus on what God's plan for your life is and worry about that. Don't worry about what everybody else is, is to do. John P. Pohill notes that Peter could sleep so soundly the night before his trial is an ind- indication of his calm assurance that he was in God's hands. Understand, if you go through good times, if you go through bad times, you're in the hands of God. And understand this as well. The Bible tells us that you live, you're a winner. You die, you're a winner. Either way, you're a winner. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, meaning that you can continue serving Christ the way he's given you. To die, as we're going to see in this series, is going to be truly gain because heaven is unbelievable, folks. And it, it is going to get better and better and better. Each day, each day we live in heaven is going to get better than the day before. So we need to understand, while we as an American church hold a lot of problems, we talk about the youth exodus. Boy, we need, thank the Lord for our good youth ministers. Amen? If you're happy for, if you're happy for the youth workers we have here in this church, let me hear you say amen. I, I thank God for them. Let me hear it one more. They do a great job. Amen? Because I want to tell you, we're in the midst of a youth exodus where many youth are leaving the church in massive numbers. We have low numbers of young ministers. That's why I say if God's calling you into ministry, we need you. If God's calling you into ministry, we need you. Amen? <laughs> we need young ministers uh, today. Uh, we, need, uh, we have an increasing demand for apologetic evangelism. It's a new way of doing evangelism. But we must not become discouraged because the same God that called the church in the first century is the same God that calls His church in 2018. We're part of the same church. And God may reach the lost through our lives or through our deaths, but either way, the gospel will be, de- will be decreed and will be proclaimed. Number three, God's sovereign gospel mission is also defended. I've got to move on. Herod interrogates the guards. He orders their execution. And what we see here, basically, is, is uh, without going too deep in the history of it all, there's this, there's this political upheaval that's taking place in Herod's kingdom. You have these coastal towns that depend on the inland towns, and the inland towns that depend on the coastal towns. And there's a lot of economic pressure that they're throwing at one another. And so Herod goes to these coastal towns trying to make peace. 
and people are so enamored with him, they start to call him God. And you know, uh, his head starts to swell. And he starts thinking, well, man, I'm a pretty good fellow here. I, I'm doing a pretty good job, so I must be God. Well, an angel of the Lord, the angel of death, comes by and says, <laughs> think again, buddy. And I don't know what happened, but Herod dies just like this. And this is historically confirmed in other sources, too, that Herod dies just like this. Which means to say that God is going to defend the church it may mean that we lose some people here and there. It may be that we go through tough times. But God is going to always defend the message of the gospel. Voltaire once said many years ago that in a hundred years the Bible will be no more. And that hundred years passed and you know what happened? His house became a place where they translated scriptures and sent it into the world. God definitely has a sense of humor. Amen? God definitely has a sense of humor. Evil will not win. In fact, uh, we see that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God, which is a great thing I've come to realize. You know, a lot of times we look at things and we say, well, well, I wish I could fix this person over here, or I wish I could fix that person over there. You know, we can't do anything in and of ourselves. It's only through the power of God Almighty. So the only person we're truly responsible for is our calling and our ministry being faithful to God. You look at Jeremiah, his whole life. I don't know that he ever had one convert in his ministry, but he was a success because he remained faithful to God. And that's the thing we have to understand and realize. Be faithful to God. Keep doing the things God has called you to do. You're not responsible for the actions of others. You're responsible for what you do in your life to glorify God. And last but certainly not least, we see that God's sovereign gospel mission was delivered. Despite all the hardships that were faced, despite all the things that took place, look at verse 25. We see a connection. Despite all the troubles that had happened, we see Barnabas and Paul still at it. They didn't waver. They didn't stop, even though James had been killed, even though Peter had been imprisoned. They returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. They took with them John Mark, and the gospel ministry kept being proclaimed, and people kept, kept coming to Christ in massive numbers. Luke shows a powerful truth in the book of Acts, and that is that each person played an important role in this early church. If it had not been for Barnabas... <laughs> Amen, and. <laughs> I love it. If it had not been for Barnabas, then Paul would not have been the man that he was. Amen? He wouldn't have had the access that he had. If it had not been for Paul, Paul was a Roman citizen, which meant he had access to places none of the other apostles had. Paul played an important role. We saw a couple weeks ago, last week, that this, uh, this guy who was a prophet played an important role. Each person in the church plays an important role. And I want you to understand this very clearly. Every single one of you have different gifts. You have different abilities that God has bestowed upon you. My plea to you is to use them. You have gifts and abilities that I don't have. Amen? You have gifts and abilities that no one else has. Use the gifts that God has given you for the glory of His name. Now, the wonderful truth about this is, that, is, is simply put, you're not responsible. And in fact, there, there's a great release there's, there's, there's a great release and pressure when, when you think about this. You're not responsible for how a person responds to the gospel message. You're merely responsible for getting in the information. Amen? And you know, sometimes use any means you can to start a conversation. And sometimes, as Greg Kokel says, all you need to do is to put a stone in someone's shoe. 
say something to them. You know, you know, if you get a stone in your shoe, it gets a little uncomfortable. You, you have to deal with it. You have to eventually look at it. Sometimes the gospel evangelism is, simple, is that simple. Give somebody something to think about. Say something to them. Do something that will get them thinking about the truth of God's Word. And sometimes that's all you need to do for the Holy Spirit to start, start taking hold of their hearts. And before you know it, that little stone has become a boulder. And that's a boulder they have to confront and they have to face. But whatever God has called you to do, be faithful to that calling. Now, let's go back to the main point of this message before we close. I've given this, uh, I've given this illustration before, but it bears repeating. Ravi Zacharias wrote a book a few years back called The Grand Weaver. And as we look at the sovereignty of God and our, and our responsibility as human beings, we often ask ourselves, how do these things piece together? Well, he gives a wonderful illustration in his book. In India, uh, which is where he was born, he tells the story of, of how there are many individuals who were in the sari-making business. Now, not sari, S-O-R-R-Y, like they're being sari. Sari, like this cloth that they wear. And, and it's usually a family affair. It usually takes a father and son to make these beautiful pieces of silk and put them together. All types of... Types of <laughs> love it, sorry. All types of beautiful, beautiful uh, gowns, these saris, you know. And, uh, and we see that they have all these different beautiful arrangements on there, beautiful pictures on there as well. And you know how they make them? The father has an image in his mind. And he starts threading the silk down this machine. And the son, he's there at the bottom of this machine, and he's taking the spindle, I guess is what you call it, and he's just moving it back and forth, back and forth, uniting all these threads together. And by the time they get finished, you see all these colors coming down the line. Some of them are beautiful colors, some of them not so much. But when you see all of them coming together, and you see this son moving that spindle back and forth, you begin to see the picture that the father had in his mind from the very beginning. Beloved, I would tell you that is exactly the same thing I believe we're going to see when we get to heaven. That God has a picture in mind with your life and with my life and that our lives are like a, a piece of that thread in this machine. That when we see the grand picture, everything in your life makes a difference. The things that you do, the things that you say, all of it makes a difference because we're part of this grand plan that God has. And that's to see souls saved. Beloved, you may not think that you're making a big difference, but I want to tell you, when you understand this truth about how God uses His children, every single one of you are not just important, but you're critical to God's plan. So be faithful with what God has called you to do. And you may not see the end results here on this, in this, on this side of eternity, but I guarantee you when you get in heaven, you're going to look back at your life and you're going to say, hey, I didn't think that that little event in my life made that big of a difference, but man, it really did. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me encourage you this morning that if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. God has given us a certain amount of days on this earth, and, and we never know. This may be the last chance you get to receive Christ. So if you're here today and you've never received Him, I want to encourage you to come and respond to His offer of salvation this morning. Or maybe you're here today and you're looking at, you're looking at your life and, and you want to be more faithful with the things that God has called you to do. Or maybe you have someone in your life that you want to pray for. Maybe you have some burden you want to throw before the, the cross, before the feet of Christ. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you want to come join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your hearts, 
We just ask that you do according to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the salvation that we have only in and through you. And I don't know the reason, the purpose behind this message, but I know that you have a purpose for every message. And so, Lord, I just wanted to ask, Lord, if someone here today is troubled by a certain situation in their lives, I just want to ask, Lord, that this morning that you would provide them peace from on high that only you can. Help, help whoever it may be that this message is for to understand that, Lord, that, that all we can do is just do what you've called us to do and just trust you with the results of the things for which you've called us to do. Lord, maybe there's someone in here today that's never received you as Lord and God. We just want to ask, Lord, that they would not leave these doors before they make that before they make that their salvation. Again, we love you. We expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.